Welcome to the Rugby Vets podcast. And we have just finished the first week of Champions Cup and Challenge Cup Rugby. We've had sevens in Cape Town. We are in full speed with the rugby season now. A good weekend for South African teams on the large, um, positive performances, mostly positive results as well. And also surprisingly good weekend for um, the Premiership and English rugby as well. My name is Tyler. I am joined by Sean today. We are going to go through this um, first weekend of Champions Cup rugby and Challenge Cup rugby. Sean, yeah, I think at least in general, pretty much all the South African teams, uh, including the Cheetahs and even the Stormers who lost, I think should be happy about their um, performance on, on, on the weekend. Yes, um, they've all got something very positive to pull out of it. And it's not only, only their wins. I know the Stormers didn't win, but they, they were fighting way outside of their weight category. Um, they pushed Leicester all the way. Um, incredible. I watched bits and pieces of it. I couldn't watch the whole, whole. I was swapping between games. That was great. Cheetahs did well. Um, Lions, Jordan Hendricks is back. Sharks put on a big score. Yeah, everyone can be happy, you know. Bulls obviously dominated Saracens. So good, good all round for the South Africans. Yeah. And the only, maybe the only negatives on a South African rugby viewpoint is the two sevens teams, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Let's start with um, the game at Loftus. Um, the Bulls winning 27 16 against Saracens. I think it was almost like the typical big Bulls game that you want um, when they play in the high felt against a. a, a an overseas team is for them to dominate territory and possession, to be running and to continue to run all the time. They're making um, the, the opposition tackle and, and they're the ones off their feet. And then the gaps will open up and the tries will be scored. And yeah, the Bulls were in rampaging fashion on, on, on Saturday. Like, I think the person who's become even more of a superstar even more so than he was maybe um, before this weekend is Cameron Cameron Anikom, who's it just seems like he's just growing week by week and in, in, in terms of how much people are rating him. Yeah, he's um, he's good, eh? <laughs> there's there's no doubt about it. Um, I think it was Um Rugby also tweeted this week saying that when Cameron Hanikom broke into the scene, he was doing all the sexy stuff, but now we're watching him do all the real hard graft and and good sort of the the good values you look for in an eighth man. So yeah, he picked um I, I highlighted it last week. I was something I was quite interested in in watching because obviously the two eights were two very different style players. But um not thinking that he outplayed Vunipola in in a tight game. It was more that the Bulls as a whole just were they were incredible. They they went out and blew Saracens out of the water early. Um, Saracens didn't know where to go and you know as we suspected Saracens were really hunting points in this game because you know they've sent all the big boys down they were they were banking on a on a win and knew it would be hard work but they got they got done in they got done in by by the Bulls and the Bulls were incredible yeah I think there's not much you can say that's negative about the Bulls performance they dominated all the attacking stats you know 34 defenders beaten to 10 seven clean breaks to three um, it's their players, the 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 Hanukoms, the Lo- Erich Lowe's, the Arenses, the Kanan Moody's that are dominating all the attacking stats. Defensively, they did pretty well. Um, I think maybe in the second half, they started leaking too many penalties and got a bit ill-disciplined as Saracens started keeping the ball and attacking a bit more. But on the other hand, by that time, the game was pretty much over because Saracens were making so many more tackles than the Bulls did. They made 
um, had to make 116 tackles to the Bulls, 97. Their tackle success was 70%. Um, Saracens, that is. They had three cards in the game as well. Thought the Bully, Bully Vunipola red card was a bit harsh, but maybe we can talk about that later. Yeah, so they were always on the back foot, and you could see near the end of the game, a lot of them were sucking diesel at the end, and obviously the high fault effect. Not something that you know the English rugby players or the Saracens rugby players would be too used to, so they really struggled um, near the end of the game. So the Bulls know if they can start hard and fast, it's less of it's less likely that a, a team can try to make a comeback against them because of you know the altitude factor. Yeah, that that was the thing. I mean, if you look at this backline: Ivan Fancel, Owen Farrell, Sean Maitland, Nick Tompkins, Elliot Daly, Alex Lewington, and Alex Good. Those are top quality players, but they really were struggling. They, they were struggling to come to terms with stuff. Like it's during the headlights comes to mind, but not in, not in a bad way. Just in that they were constantly just every time they looked up, something was coming at them. Like it was all happening all the time. And it was brilliant by, by the Bulls and by Jake White to pick them off like that. And yeah, it was just, they, when they got a foothold in the game, it was long gone. I mean, it was 26 at halftime. Yeah, and, and when the Saracens, there was, a, there was a little twinkle of a possible comeback, something that may have earned them two bon- losing bonus points at one stage, maybe. You know, you, you're thinking about it, but yeah, it was too little too late. And then when the Bulls got that fright, they managed to get stuck back stuck into it. Um, yeah, it was very interesting. I, I will say, I know we're talking about the cards and stuff. I thought... Elliot Daly was very lucky not to be red carded purely because he would have received a second yellow card. Um, mm-hmm. He, after his first yellow, he went, there was a knock, an intentional knockdown in the tackle. Um, and mm-hmm. I think he kind of got away with it because he got carded before. They didn't review it or anything like that ref wave play on straight away, but they very easily could have been down to 40 men a lot earlier, which would have made it um, even worse. Yeah. Yeah. I think, there's not too much um, Saracen should um, be too disappointed about. I mean, this has happened to many a team going up to Loftus as well, just getting blown out um, quite early in the game and just realizing, yeah, all the, the effort you have to put in in order to, to try and win a game, obviously, like in, in Pretoria. The only question now is how much does that affect them going forward in like the, the following games? Uh, they have to fly back. The whole first team squad obviously came here pretty much. They have to now fly back to England. They're playing Connacht. I mean, that's a really good team as well. T- players will be tired. Yeah, it's going to be a big, I think it's going to have to be a big effort for them to win that game next week. On the Bulls side, yeah, I, I think it's the there's two, three, combina- well, there's two combinations that are just cooking at the moment. It's the loose forwards and it's the back three. The back three obviously combined, or at least two of the back three combined really well for that um, try that Moody scored. Um, Aronson making the break and then um, getting it to Caleb Moody. Like those two just find each other everywhere. Vinny LaRue. Can I just interrupt Vinny you there? Things. Go on. That, that Owen Farrell chase and ankle tap was Jeez. incredible. It was, he, he, de- he didn't look fast. You know, you know when someone's running and they look fast? <laughs> like Farrell didn't look fast. I'm like, he's still going. Like, well done. And then he dies and puts that ankle tap in. I was like, no wait. Incre- it was flipping brilliant. And then Moody just, obviously there was no one else around, but yes, it was what an effort. Yeah, I thought he was done. 
I I had <laughs> yeah. I thought once the once the break was gone and Owen was chasing, I was like, oh, Owen, you can give up. It's fine. It's Kane and you know that dive. You know that dive you make, so you can tell the coaches in the review that you like. I did make an effort. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was just doing one of those, and then he got a flipping hand. I was like, yo. Yeah. No. He. I think he did really well to even keep up there. And uh, yeah, Faz, I think at least defensively had a pretty good game, although things were going crazy around them. Um, sidebar, I don't know if Tompkins and Daly were, I don't know, maybe just, I mean, Daly plays everywhere for Saracens, but the def- defensively, they just were getting sucked in a bit too much uh, in yeah. some of the backline moves that the that the Bulls had. Um, Sean, yeah, I think the the Bulls, I mean, the back three is great. The Bulls backline as a whole, I think they're attacking really well right now and they're just in such good form. It's, yeah, like you... I mean, there's other, you know, quality players that you could maybe make arguments for coming into the team one time or another, but it looks like this is the combination that's working for them right now. Um, David Creel just gives them some extra playmaking. He was, obviously, for his try, he was on the wing, and he's played many times on the wing the past few years. Corson's playing well. I think he gets that Villila Roof boost of having that additional playmaker with him. Obviously, we know how good um, Orenta and Moody are. Stephen Hans is playing really well. Embrace Papier is directing things um, from nine. Like that's a backline that's in good form right now. Very good. They're they're incredible. I thought I thought Vili Larue had a very good game as well. Um, when he when he picked up that ball just before it went out, and then he stepped going back towards the line. I can't remember who he stepped, but he absolutely destroyed um, the oncoming man. But that back line is looking good. To be fair, there's, if you look at that starting lineup, you probably wouldn't change anyone. There's really, like, you, you could look at Swanepoel and Ludwig and Hans and maybe say that, you know, like the only reason why you'd be iffy about them is purely because you haven't seen them enough. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that they need to be, to be swapped out. I'm just saying they're guys that are, like, you're not so familiar with. Sed Mahant has been brilliant at 13. I've actually always liked him at 13. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think what happened. I know he got dropped a couple of times. I didn't think he was playing too badly, but that seems to have been settled now. He's obviously picked up his game to be, you know, starting the whole time. And then, I mean, the Bulls have got, they've just got players to just recycle in the forwards and in the backs. Um, maybe the backs not so much, but their, their back line, if they stay fit, are probably going to start every single big game and they're probably going to dominate most of those games. Yeah, and I think the other big thing to take away from this game is just the importance of home ground advantage, I think, in this competition. Sheesh. If if the Bulls can, you know, build on this, I mean, we know that well, we can talk about it now. I'm sure they're going to probably pick a second-string team to go to Lyon this weekend. But if they could top their pool and have a home last 16, a home quarterfinal game, it's... I, I I don't think, apart from maybe the likes of Leinster and Toulouse and La Rochelle, I don't really back any other overseas team beating them um, in Pretoria. Like it's just such a big, um, it's it's a it's it's an even bigger home ground advantage that they have that other teams just don't have access to. And when the Bulls play that, you know, they almost have a loftus mode of playing where they're just constantly running. They have the forwards just coming around the corner the whole time and just, you know, battering whoever's defending um, in, or around the fringes. They have obviously the backline players that can just 
you know, run and run and run. They have the ability to kick the ball far. They are accurate, at least in, in the in the line out. Scrum didn't have had a few issues, but mostly accurate there as well. Like it's it's a hard proposition for them, for an opposition team. So yeah, home ground advantage. If the Bulls want to go far, they have to try to make sure that they get a, a good first place or second place in that pool. Yeah. The thing, there's only two things that could probably unravel the Bulls right now um, if they're in, in a knockout would be if they hadn't properly been able to sort of rest up and balance the squad, which I, I believe Jake White is perfectly capable of doing. But, you know, sometimes when you rest up teams or, or um, squads and multiple players, it, it hiccups a little bit in that you lack a bit of continuity. But that that's one. And the other thing for me, if I had to think about a side that could undo them at Loftus in a knockout game, if it was a big, if it was a big French side, like mm. maybe a Russing or a Toulouse, I I know we always talk about how they don't travel well, but they could also go to Loftus and just be completely like in inverted commas ignorant to to what it means, you know? Like the stadium doesn't mean much to them. Um, not like it means too many people who play there often and get beaten. So that could be could be the one. I I think um I think a big French side, they've just got to try and avoid one of them just for the for the light round of sixteen. I think if they win that one and start getting settled, I think they'll be okay after that. Yeah. It's yeah, I think they've they've um set themselves up well. We did talk about that if they lost um Saturday's game, they it might be a situation where they're already fighting for their lives in the next round, but they've set themselves up well. Any points they get in Leon, I think, will be a bonus. Um, maybe they can just at least try to get um, a bonus point. Uh, they, yeah, I think they should still have a relatively like fine side. Um, you know, at least I think at least someone like Marcel Kutsia can probably play there since he hasn't played much rugby. Um, you know, you put in the Chris Smiths and the Zach Burgers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you should have at least a decent team there and see what, what, whatever points you can get there. And they're set up well. Um, that Stormers Bulls game in two weeks time looks absolutely mouthwatering. And yeah, I, I mean, we'll have a lot of time to talk about it next week, but that's Hanukkah Rus, who's the new trendy eight that we all like battle is going to be box office alone. Yeah. Well, it, it will be, but it, I think both of them will really benefit, and they always will, but from the loose churn, how the balance is working there. Uh, yeah. Right now, you can't you can't look past the bulls at the moment. <laughs> they um, there's some big boys doing some really really good things. Interestingly enough, the bulls are even though it was a fairly good win, they didn't bag a bonus point. So I know it was mm. against Saracen, so it's a it's a good win nonetheless. But they are still sitting. There, well, they are only third on on the group with Leon like a point or two behind them. So it would be um, a, a win against Leon would be important. A loss with no bonus points of any sort would actually like put them quite, quite low down. So yeah. it would be um, big, big for them. They must, they must win. I'll, yeah, this is the whole thing. This is the whole balance around Europe and your domestic competition. It's, it's wild. Yeah, we'll see what happens this week. But yeah, I think... People that are preparing themselves to see Cameron Hanekom and Leon, I think you probably won't see him this weekend. You'll probably see some of the non-first-team Bulls players playing there. 
Let's move to um, the Leicester Stormers game. As we talked about earlier, Stormers gave a very good account of themselves and actually arguably unlucky to lose 35 points to 26, not even getting a bonus point in Leicester somehow getting five points from this game. Um, I don't think that's a fair reflection of what happened in the game. Fantastic first off from the Stormers. They're able to put um, the Tigers under a lot of pressure and were making the running of it. And then Leicester, I think, just turned on, you know, the turned on like, you know, executed a lot better, like the things like their mall and their, their set piece and players obviously like, you know, the Pollards, the Visas, then stood up um, for them. Sean, at least from the Stormers' side, a lot is encouraging, especially with regards to, you know, them building depth. Like, there's a lot of players that played pretty well. You know, the likes of Stisi Tole, obviously, he's now come into the team. Um, Kike Morabe took his um, try really well from eighth man. Yuri Matia had a good um, uh, debut there in the in the Champions Cup. Um, Kornos Kosan showed that he still has that class. Paul Devet had a really good game. Like. There's a lot there that, you know, we know how long the season is and the Stormers can be encouraged that they have, you know, at least some depth going into, you know, the rest of the competition. Yeah, massive. This, I mean, this is almost exclusively a brand new starting lineup. And um, what, a, what an unbelievable effort away from home. Um, it was... It was great. I watched bits and pieces of it. It was really good to see. I actually didn't watch the game because I really expected Leicester to walk them early. Um, I kept having to to go back. I mean, it was. I thought it was a. Um, I thought it was all squared half time. It wasn't. It was uh, the Stormers were leading because of that uh, that try just towards the end. So, yeah, very impressive. And the thing is now, I in this situation, I see the Stormers maybe a year behind the Bulls in terms of being competitive in both competitions. Um, we didn't see a lot of new guys. We didn't see a lot of this last year for the Stormers. I don't recall anyway. But um, the most important thing about it is that the Stormers went away to Leicester and then were, were dominant for, no, I wouldn't say dominant, but they were in control for large parts of the game. I mean, they put Leicester Tigers like, into a little bit of a, a worried worried space for a, for a large period of the game. So, yeah, good, very good effort, and it looks great for for the Stormers moving forward. Yeah, I, I th- yeah, I'm not sure which player will like whose stocks have risen the most from the Stormers. I think there's a lot of candidates, but yeah, I think just that try from uh, Murabe, I think that will speak a lot for him. I mean, it's not like the Stormers are struggling for eighth men and struggling for players that can um, attack with ball in hand with the likes of Ruiz and Daimani. But it's nice to know that with um, Kiki Murabe, they do have someone else that can um, put into that position as well. He's still young. He's, I think, 20, yeah, 22 at the moment. So he can also just be added to the long, I mean, yeah, you shake a tree, there's always a quality loose for in South Africa. But he can be added to the depth that um, the Stormers have. Now Makaba has come back well. Um, into um, this level of rugby after pretty much missing the whole season last season. We know that Vili Engelbrecht has been someone that's been in and out of the senior team. Gomela's yeah, someone that has been a contributor in the last two seasons. Like, yeah, you you know that the Storms are sorted, um, uh, you know, with their, with their loose trio, their scrum, I think, held up pretty well, considering you're up against, you know, the English <laughs> first-choice tight head and Dan Cole, 
Joe Hayes comes in in, in the second half. An experienced hooker like Julian Montoya is in there. I think the forwards can, you know, take a lot of credit from their performance. The backs, maybe, yeah, if if there was maybe an opportunity, if maybe they should have taken someone like Dan Duplessis at 12 instead of Jean-Luc Duplessis um, and give them a bit of game time. But obviously they're trying to um, get him sort of prepared for the, for, for the game this weekend. But yeah, I, there's, there's a lot I think that the Stormers should be pretty positive about. They really had, I think, control of the game for, you know, 50, 60 minutes. They were in the, in the fight and then Leicester just turned up with, with the rolling mall, with the scrums and then the gap started appearing. Uh, yeah. And Solomon Carter, I think he was the biggest beneficiary of having two tens at in, in the midfield for, for, for this weekend's game. Yeah. He's, he's pretty handy, but I think for the Stormers in the stocks rising department, I think Stisa Tolle um, definitely put his hand up and Yuri Matia, I mean, Excuse me, but I didn't. I didn't really know much of him, um, and uh, he didn't look out of place, which is wild. Um, that was pretty good. Interestingly, um, Leicester. Yo, they. I thought very interestingly enough, Hanra Liebenberg. He he made one mistake in that game, one yeah. glaring mistake where where there was a try on and and he didn't pass it. I think that I can't remember when that was, but I I think that would have changed the um, landscape significantly. Um, the other is Tommy Turnover was really not in the game. Um, Jasper mm. Visser was there and thereabouts, but Tommy Rafael, we are so used to him dominating and um, he was kept very, very quiet. So it was, yeah, it was interesting. Andre followed another great game off the tee, but um, the standard miss to touch off a penalty was, was there. I don't know if you saw it, Tyler, but it happened and I had a little mm. quiet chuckle, but we can't say anything bad about Andre anymore because I was... We were all very wrong <laughs> when it came in for the World Cup. Well, we were trying to just quietly let everyone know that like, it's just, it's not going to be like just chill. It's not going to be crazy. And then he was the best of the best ever. So we can't badmouth Andre anymore. Yeah. I think also just with the Liebenberg point, I mean, he was the one that missed the tackle on Murabe. I mean, yeah, five meters out. It's a yes, tricky one to make. That. But yeah. He, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, otherwise he had a decent game. I, I think you're right, Sean, about Rafael. I mean, I was. I mean, was able to watch like um, highlights and stuff, but he wasn't as we know how good Rafael can be um, usually um, in these games, and he wasn't that wasn't that person. Um, yeah, we know how great Jasper Visa is for this team. I did like um, with um, the the Leicester backline; their wings looked great. I mean, Oli Hassel Collins is obviously a young, talented player that's you know been knocking on the door for England for a while. I love Josh Bassett. I mean, he I think he had a really good game. Um, himself. Big guy, huh? He's a, he's a big guy. Yeah, he's, he looks big, but he's he's quite um he's quite good. I'm I'm actually quite a big fan of him. I think I don't you know what I mean. He's not he's not going to set the world alight, but he's always going to be there and he's always going to do his job and he's mm. going to do a good job. So I think he flies under the radar a little bit often. Mm. You can see he is like because he I think the first time I watched him or saw bits of him was in that. Villarreal, Kurtley Beale, um, Wasps team a few years ago, and he was, he didn't like play every week, but he would be someone that would be put into wing and all that sort of stuff, and he just seemed like a good, intelligent footballer that knew where where he needed to be, what he needed to do, and obviously he's a good finisher as we saw this weekend. Um, so yeah, he played really well. Kata, I think that's a really good signing for Leicester. I'm trying yes. to think what the other options are at twelve. Dan Kelly, I guess. Yeah. So hundred I mean, 
Well, yeah. It does <laughs> is Jimmy Gopp still here? Ah, uh, he might have retired. I don't know. Uh, Jimmy Gopps went to France. Um, ah. I will tell you now where he went. I think but, to a lead, uh, I mean, pro D2 club, if I'm not Yeah, mistaken. he went to D2 side, but yeah, he went to France. I think he, he left them. But I'm trying to think where... Um, I'm trying to think where else... Who else they've got at 12? I can't for the life of me think right now. So I can't find where Jimmy Goppett went. Yeah, I can only think of Kelly. Um, but yeah, I think... Kata is just a really good player. It wasn't, I think, as it wasn't used like that, or at least in the games that I saw of Exeter last season. But yeah, he made a massive impact um, today. Oh yeah, Guy Porter, he's also an option. Leicester. Yeah. But yeah, so they really just exposed um, that um, Matia Duplessis Hartzenberg is probably not the biggest 10, 12, 13 you'll find defensively. So they 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 played really well there. And look, Leicester still should have a lot more players coming back into this team. That's far from their best team, you know. Um, the likes of Martin and uh, the younger Chesson brother, like they'll bolster the the pack as well. So I think for Leicester, at least they got out of it with five points. They should, yeah, they, they should be satisfied that you know even if they were tested and they maybe should have won this by more, they did get themselves out of a sticky situation and, and came through um, well, actually pretty well at, at, the, at the end, obviously with five points, I think they're second on the log, or no, they're top of the log actually um, in their pool. So it's a pretty positive result for them, all things considered. Yeah. They, they, needed, they needed that five point. Well, to take a five-point win out of that game is great for them as, as a unit. Um, even though it was a fight at home, I think moving forward in the Champions Cup, um, also, I mean, obviously their experience in knockout games in the past shows, but I think as a unit, this result, getting the five points is huge for them. It's more than just the five points that, that we see on, on the log. Yeah, especially in this group of dev. They've got um, study. they're going to Paris this weekend. They should actually try to win that game. I mean, Stud, it's a it's a good team, but I think it's a team that you could sneak a result against. And if they win that, and knowing that they still have La Rochelle to visit them and all that sort of stuff, they 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 I think they'd feel quite good about their chances. Yeah, they must they must win this weekend. Um, and I agree with you. With regards to Stud, in terms of like you can get a win, they're good at the moment, but they you'll probably find they'll kind of reevaluate things a little bit um, already so soon, and and they'll I'm fairly confident they'll be focusing heavily on the top fourteen. Um, I mm. I don't think they've got a squad to go deep in the Champions Cup yet, so they're kind of going to have to figure out quite early how much they want to commit to it, um, and it is um, it's going to be interesting. But they are playing at home which is obviously a different baby, you know, um, the, the home, home, home ground for the French sides um, is a fortress and they always need to, they have to win those more than anything. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I do, I do see Leicester winning that, uh, Leicester winning that. And then the Stormers, they've obviously got La Rochelle this weekend. It's effectively a must-win game for both teams, um, arguably. Um, La Rochelle, I don't think they'll be at least. I don't think they'll be eliminated. They'll have be under a lot of pressure if they don't win. But if La Rochelle, I mean the the way that La Rochelle's won 
the last few Champions Cups is they usually play most of their knockout games at home. So yeah, the the getting a win in Cape Town would be quite important to them. And then on the other hand, for the Stormers, they need to get some points on the board. They've pretty much put all their chips into trying to win this game this weekend. So that's going to be an epic game if Larishal <laughs> decide to play all their, um, or at least most of their first team players. So yeah, I think for both teams, w- w- the team that loses will be under a lot of pressure because I think the result for Sale, when they beat Stad, I think it does put some pressure on the other teams because Leicester's now probably fine. I mean, they won their, their, their hardest match already. Um Leicester Tigers, if they win against Stud, should be fine as well. And Sale, I mean, they obviously, at least at least for me, they look a lot better than I thought they would. So now Larishan Stormers would feel very uncomfortable if they're on one or two points after this weekend. Yeah, and Sale didn't seem to name their strongest team either. So mm. um, I think there's more there. But you're 100% right. The pressure is squarely on the Stormers. Um, whether... La Rochelle send like a full strength side. I think they might send a mix. Um, they they could probably still claw it back if they lose, but the pressure is squarely on the Stormers because of the decision that they made in what team to send away last week. So they've kind of done that with the eye on taking five point or taking a win and hopefully five points against La Rochelle. But it's in Cape Town at the Cape Town Stadium and Stormers are a dream there. It's also mm. a brand new pitch. I don't. The Stormers haven't played there yet this season, have they? No, they've yeah. made Donny Craven a home for themselves. Yeah, new pitch, looking good. Um, so we're all talking about how they need to change the pitch to help their scrums. So it's got to work this weekend. And La Rochelle don't have a shit pack. <laughs> Stephen Kitsov must be so pissed that he had to play on the. <laughs> motocross and what do we call it? Um, monster truck pitch the last few seasons and not this. And now he's it looked really gone good. to Ireland. He's gone to Ireland and he plays on Mud Island. It's even worse there. <laughs> he must be so unhappy. Um, but I'm sure Francois Lab on the other hand is, yeah, he'll be licking his, his, his lips. Um, if it is um, Malhoba and Wardi and Antonio coming this weekend, it's going to be a good test for that pitch on Saturday. We can then report whether the pitch and the relaying of the grass has worked or not. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good game, possibly the game of the weekend, but all depends on who Larishal send. Sidebar, I mean the pitch got another kind of test this weekend. Did you see what happened with the celebrations after the the, the two finals? In the pool. In the pool. Yes. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> world class. I loved it. <laughs> It was hilarious. I'm glad no one got injured um, because that would have been a <laughs> massive epic fail. But yeah, that you just saw people going in and in in that video and you're like, Oof, uh, <laughs> is this pool going to be able to hold it? And then it clearly was not able to hold, you know, 10 to 15 rugby players all coming into it. Exactly. Yeah, that would have, oh, thank goodness nothing happened, as you say, but it was good fun to watch and everyone in and the RGs love to celebrate. So it would have been like mm. double time in there. So was good fun though. Okay, I think what we're going to do is just go through all of the games. Um, we'll have one or two quick comments here and there. Um, Friday, we started with Glasgow losing to Northampton. Northampton winning 28 points to 19 and starting off a great weekend for um, the Premiership. Uh, Sean, I, I don't think we, I think we all predicted um, a, a Glasgow win. So yeah, this 
Uh, Northampton win is quite surprising. Toby Freeman played pretty well. Courtney Laws was fantastic. Yeah, this was a, a big surprise, I think. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, compared to what we were thinking, but it was also because Glasgow are playing at home. And, um, mm. But Saints dominated. Tommy Freeman was cooking. Um, and as you, as you mentioned, Courtney Laws also had a great game. So it's a, uh, I think Glasgow expected more out of it. You can, you can understand that they could lose to Saints. You can understand that. But I think they got blown out of the water where they, in a way mm. that they didn't really expect it. So it is back to the drawing board in a small way for them. They're going to have to start um, working their side a little bit more, like naming um, possibly um, a better, stronger side and just working through it. But they've got all the work to do now for the rest of the Champions League. Yeah. Shout out to Angus Scott Young making 27 tackles on, yeah. on, on Friday night for, for Northampton. I mean, yeah, he's a, I think he played a, uh, for the Reds. He was a, a blindside flank um, in those days. or well, still is now, of course. But, geez, 27 tackles is a ridiculous number. I mean, we know from the World Cup final, <laughs> making that number of tackles, you're pretty much up and down tackling people every minute. Yeah, and there's so much more happening in the game as well. And that we're just talking about tackles. I mean, it was flipping uh, impressive. Then we go um, to the next game. Connacht got a bit of a pasting from Bordeaux, 41 points to five. I think this might be my most impressive um, performance of the weekend by a team. Bordeaux just absolutely thrashing Connacht at home. Never an easy place to win there. Uh, yeah, I mean, the big boys for... Um, Bordeaux all came out to play, um, the likes of Pino. I, I think it seemed like Maxine Luku had a good game from, from what yeah. I read. Um, uh, Spili Falatea was, the, was the man of the match as well. Uh, yeah, Sean, I mean, obviously we've talked many times about the French teams and their attitude to this, um, to this competition. Obviously, Bordeaux has invested into the team with bringing someone like Damien Pino into, the, into it, but it's not like they played you know, their ultimate, you know, their, their strongest team. And them getting a, a win like that against Bordeaux, I mean, against Connacht at uh, an island, that's, a, that's a, big, a big warning sign for the rest of the competition. Massive. It's great. It's great for them as a unit going into the top, back into the top 14 in, in a week and a bit's time. But, yeah, I think the big thing, Mac Hansen going off injured, um, like after 20 minutes, it was wild. Bundy Aki made his, made his return. But I think Bordeaux, they were just a lot smoother in everything. They really, they did well. Their, their, their front row did really well. And then at, when they had to make changes, they brought on Big Ben and Kalusadi, you know. So, like, as a, as a front ranking, as a front row, they've, they've got the goods there. So, everything was built on that. And then they had the back line just really doing the job. I thought Matthew Jalibert was was pretty decent, but Damien Pinot was everywhere, just absolute psycho, just all over the show. And Connacht got crunched. Like, this is a proper hiding. Yeah. I mean, Connacht is just like one of those teams. They're almost like the domestic or like the club version of like an Argentina. Like, just when you think, okay, there's something building, then they'll take a few losses. And just when you think, okay, maybe you don't need to have that much hope in them, then they start going on a run. So 
that is a little bit disappointing because they looked really good. I mean, they had a really good win in, in Durban. I mean, okay, maybe the Sharks aren't the best team in the world, but still a big win away. Got some of their, well, got all of the Irish players back. And yeah, that's 541 is never a good result. Um, next game was um, Exeter beating Toulon. Um, also a big surprise, Exeter winning um, in France, um, 19 points to 18. Yeah, Sean, again, another game that I think is a big surprise for at least myself and probably a lot of other people. I mean, Exeter, you know, this is almost supposed to be like their rebuilding and reset year after losing a lot of their big senior players. And that's a massive, massive result to get against, obviously, one of the classic um, powerhouses in, in, in European rugby. Yeah. I'm embarrassed to say that I was, I missed it. I, I missed the, the, I missed Slade knocking over the kick. Um, mm. I thought <laughs> Toulon had won the game. I swapped over to watch the end of the other game and I looked down um, at, at my app and there, I was like, oh no, there's a mistake here. There must be something wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> I went back and I had a look at it. It was flipping. Yeah. What, what a flipping, what a comeback, man. Um, yeah. Joffre Mullen scoring and then Henry Slade, yeah, Henry Slade puts a kick over, but I don't know if you saw it. So if Mullen scored on the 15 meter, uh, like the line out line, not 15, yeah, 15 meters in yeah. from field. And, um, Slade took it about four or five meters set up and then the ref's like, no, no, move it over. went back and then still slotted it. But yeah, I thought, um, you know, I thought Charles Olivon had a decent-ish game. It's really hard. Like, the guys, Melvin Jaminet made his, his return to, in inverted commas, home. Um, Gabon Villiers, pretty decent. But Toulon looked like they, they had it sewn up. Um, they really looked, like, in control. And it shows if you don't stay switched on all the time against almost any professional side, like, you will, you will bleed. And sometimes you'll, you'll manage to get back in the groove and, and sort it out. And other times you'll lose. And um, what a what a massive result for for the Chiefs. And as you say, they're kind of rebuilding, and you know they're not as competitive as they used to be. But this is a massive uh, massive way to to sort of kind of make a statement. Yeah, and there's a lot of um, implications, I think, for that pool as well. You know, that's a big unexpected game. It puts. I think Toulon under a lot of pressure for what they need to do now. Obviously, conceding a game. Um, away from home and they played their best team at Toulon or at least close to their best team so it's definitely not a result that they were expecting and yeah now yeah we're going to talk about the other surprise results in that pool I mean I think arguably the three surprise results all happened in this pool um, maybe let's move on to the okay let's wait for it but yeah the the Glasgow Northampton game was in this pool the Toulon Exeter game was in this pool the Master Bayonne game was in this pool so yeah just a Bit of chaos there in that the third pool. Let's move to Bath Ulster. They thrashed Ulster. Bath thrashed Ulster 37 points to 14. They continue their form in the Premiership. Um, yeah, I think it probably speaks more about, I mean, Bath is playing really well, yes, but I think it just speaks more about Ulster. Just They seemed like at least two seasons ago that they were like the team that was on the up in Ireland and in the URC, but now it's just underwhelming every week from them. And even even a world-class player like Steven Kitzorf is not going to fix it for them, unfortunately. But on the other hand, I mean, Bath, you know, having the likes, you know, signing a Finn Russell, having Ollie Lawrence playing really well right now, 
dangerous back line. Their forwards are playing really well. They've got Alfie Barbary back as well. Like, Ivan von Khan should be pretty happy about where the team is right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, Bath, Bath took a took a lead, a light one. They took an eight point, uh, an eight point, an eight nil lead. But then Ulster came back and led fourteen eight at the break, um, or eight fourteen. But then after that, it was just all Bath. But interesting when Van Gran took over, Bath were Bath were often like just dominating in the first half, and then being very leaky on defence in the second half. And things are turning for them. They're starting to build a good foundation they can score lots of points in the first half and they don't really go to sleep in the second half but this time they scored they had points i mean it was relatively early um they, their try was scored in the 27th minute and then they i think their penalty was just after that maybe the 30th minute or so but then they turned on in the second half so it's like a flip from what they what they were doing in a couple of years ago so this is massive for them another mo- very important fact is that um thomas the toy scored again for them um, I, I think he's the leading try scorer in Bath this season at the moment. He scores whenever he comes on. So, yeah, massive results. I mean, 37-14, that's, that's huge. Against Ulster, as you say, are a side that we used to being dominant. Like, it was always between Ulster and Munster who were the second best side in, in Ireland. But Ulster are really struggling. Like, it's, um, it's sad. And um, we'll, see, we'll see how it pans out for the rest of the season. But I don't think it's going to go well for them. Yeah, I think there's just certain things are just not happening for them. I don't know, like there's, it just doesn't seem like the team is playing to their potential right now, or maybe, you know, maybe they overplayed to their potential two seasons ago. But I think you expect a lot more from a team that has, you know, a Kitsoff, a Henderson, a Nick Timoney, um, a Stockdale, a McCloskey, a Balakoon, a James Hume. Yeah, so maybe it is, you know, there's, I think a lot of, people in Ireland that maybe don't want Billy Burns to play 10 for them um, and maybe to try and give someone else a try there. But yeah, something is not quite happening for them, unfortunately. And they'll probably have another disappointing season in Europe and in the URC if, if, if it continues like this. The next game is then Toulouse thrashing Cardiff. I don't think there's too much to be said about this. Yeah, it's just typical Toulouse, just probably not even out of fourth gear or third or fourth gear and, and doing what they do. This sevens player called Antoine Dupont um got a hundred meters in the game. Pretty handy. You know, beat beat a few defenders. He's he's pretty decent. He should make a transfer to fifteens, I think, once he's done in the Olympics. But yeah, uh, nothing too much to be said about um Toulouse, I think, at this stage. Um except for Blaking or making his debut for Toulouse. And scoring two. Um had a good game at fifteen, but Antoine Dupont really, really cooked. Um there was Toulouse, it was the kind of game that I think they really needed but also wanted. Um, you want a nice, easy start in. They haven't had the best of time in the top 14, and they've got, to, they've got to kind of get the machine rolling again, nice, well-oiled and all that sort of stuff. So if I'm not mistaken, it's also, does DuPont not leave this week or next week? Um, I think he plays this game and then he leaves. Yeah, and that's, and that's it. So... Yeah, you know, they'll they'll do well without him, um, but they're going to have to show how they can they can change things up and who's going to who's going to manage things. But yeah, they they dominated and Cardiff just couldn't hold on. Yeah, Harlequins versus Toulouse next week will be mouth watering. Um, then the draw versus um, between Manston and Bayonne. Sure, what happened there? Yeah, I I don't know. 
Um, I was watching the the Bull Saracens game because you know Munster were going to dominate. Um, that's how I had things in my head. But it was I, I saw. I think Munster Munster had a fourteen 0 lead. Did they not? No, yeah. no, they didn't. They were fourteen three up. But yeah, wow, what a what a game. But it, I actually don't have the numbers on me right now. But three of the Bayon forwards, I can't remember who they were. Each made 23 tackles. Three of them made 23 tackles each. Um, unbelievable defensive mm-hmm. effort. Jack Crowley did have a drop goal attempt that he that he missed. Um, so, you know, they Munster were pushing hard for the win. But I think most biggest thing to take out of this is that it's an absolutely incredible result for Bayon. Um, what an unbelievable thing for them away from home as well. That's that's the big thing. We, I keep saying, and we also used to the franchise being so shit away from home, but wow, we couldn't say it this year in the Champions Cup. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't have said Bayonne would be the team that would, you know, <laughs> cause a big surprise like this away from home. They don't, they have a team that's pretty much built for completely not giving a damn about the top 14 and, I mean, about the Champions Cup and focusing their efforts on the top 14. But yeah, a massive result for them. To, to come back and to get two points from this game. Um, just quickly, shout out to Thomas Aron. He's playing amazingly at, 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 um, at six at the moment. Oh. Munster must have the most flanks that could play, or locks that could play flanks <laughs> in the world right now. And they're all just absolutely cooking right now. So if, if, if it's not Omani that's playing at six, it's Aaron. If it's not Aaron, it can be Burn. Like, they've got so many options there, and they are all playing really well. So I think Burn was actually the man of the match in this game. So he's, yeah, I think Aaron is actually making uh, some noise, and he's showing his potential. He's still a young player. I think he wants to be part of the Irish setup in the next few months. And then just on the log for this pool, I think I mentioned it earlier, that is a bit of a chaos pool. But now Northampton and Exeter are first and second um, after winning their games. And now in the middle is Bayonne and Munster after they drew and Toulon and Glasgow at the bottom. So this <laughs> there's all to play for in that pool. Like a lot can still happen, especially with the surprise victories. Both for Northampton and Exeter were away victories. So, and Bayonne obviously not... Um, allowing Munster to win at home. So, yeah, this I think there's a lot of teams that are going to be under pressure this week. And for Munster, they're going to Exeter now and they probably have to get a, a win there. For Toulon, they're going all the way to Northampton um, on Friday and they also have to get a win. And either if either Munster or Toulon don't win, it's looking very um, scary for them in terms of making the last 16. Yeah, it's... Um... There's so much happening. That's this is the beauty of the Champions Cup, and I know that we thought, well, our thoughts, and it often happens now with this new setup, is that it, it's not as competitive. But things are happening early, and and that's how it used to be, and that's what everyone loved. Like you've got to always be winning, especially your home games, and you've got to secure your spots. But with the current setup, um, you know, there are listen, there are definitely sides that are going to lose out that you wouldn't expect yeah. to be losing out, but. I'm glad that it's happening so soon that so many sides are having to fight and scrap for it. Yeah. And then next game is Bristol winning the late game against Lyon, 36 points to 34. Um, we thought Lyon actually, you know, that they, I mean, the team that they picked didn't look like it was like they, all the guns were, were out for this game. So 
it's a pretty good game for them to um, take it all the way. But Bristol, you know, winning it with a drop goal, I think, what, three or four minutes after um, the, the siren from Callum Sheedy. So that's a really good result for them. And yeah, they're kind of slowly but surely getting into their, their, their stride um, here at Bristol. They look like a lot a much better team. Bernard Janssen van Rensburg might be one of the signings of the season, obviously coming from uh, London Irish and just further bolstering the, the, the Bristol team um, with very Mivakatawa in, in the midfield. So that's probably the biggest upgrade you can make in your, in your centers. So, yeah, I don't know, Sean, if this says more about Bristol or Lyon and, you know, how far these two teams can go either in Europe or domestically. But, yeah, these two teams really served out a bit of a humdinger on Saturday. Yeah, wild. I didn't expect that from, uh, from Lyon. I mean, Takira Abram, Abram scored two, which is great. But I think the well, conversation was all around the big, uh, big matchup at 13 with Semi Radradra, the, the Bristol old boy against uh, Virumi Vakatawa, the yeah. new Bristol 13. So it was quite interesting. Um, what a cracking game. Like it was going backwards and forwards. I know Bristol took um Bristol took a pretty pretty decent lead, a 7-10 lead, and then sorry, 7-10, 28-10 lead. And then it went on and then they were just kind of trading places. But I, I thought, I mean, at one stage they were 33-10 up, and I thought it was gone. And then they made a little bit of a comeback and leading by a point with the time up on the clock and then Callum Sheedy steps up and slots it to win at um in Bristol um at Ashton Gate, which is massive. So yeah. In terms of the sides making going deep, oh, I don't know. I don't know if Bristol can do that against a bigger side. And I don't know if Leon can continue to to fight back and get in the mix. Mm. Like I I don't see it, but Hell, man, it makes for a great uh, a great round two coming up, you know? Yeah, geez, I was just thinking now as you're speaking, Vrem Vakatawa is probably eligible for Fiji in a year or two. Just putting it out there for anyone that's, that's interested. That's a massive call. That's a massive call. I I, like yeah, that. I at least believe he's, he's born in Fiji, right? But, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, but... That Fiji don't exactly have a shit 13. <laughs> no. He <laughs> <It> was... A, <laughs> And best 13 of the World Cup, him and, uh, and Jesse Krill. So, yeah. I mean, they re- were already playing Radraja on the wing because they had to fit into Isova there. They already, yeah, they have a lot of options. But, I mean, if, if Vakatao has played really well um, in, in both the Premiership and in this game, I think Radraja is probably, yeah, he, he would be feeling a bit unlucky that he wasn't playing the match in this game as well. He had an all-court game as he usually does. But you know, um, yeah, I'm glad you know, Vakatawa's journey is flipping incredible. I mean, he, I think he was struggling at Racing 92, but he, um, he was at Racing 92, but then he got a sevens, um, he was playing sevens. And then mm-hmm. Racing didn't renew his, I'm sure it was Racing, they didn't renew it and he got, a, he got a sevens contract. And then, if I'm not mistaken, when he made his debut for the 15s, for the French side, I don't think he was um, contracted to a 15s side uh, i seem to think remember that but his journey's been incredible like to go to france and then not being in the 15s to play sevens dominating sevens i mean if you i don't know if you remember him playing sevens but he was flipping mm, deadly ridiculous. and then he went on to be just as deadly in 15s which is so so unusual mm. yeah actually yeah he i think this 
this move worked out really well for him and he's in a team that's playing, I think, the type of rugby where he, um, you know, can show off his talents as well. I mean, you've got really good players all around him with the likes of Shidi and Janssen van Rensburg and Ibi is on the wing. Max Malins is also in that team. So it's set up for Vakatao to really, you know, put himself back up in those uh, conversations of one of the best, you know, centers in, in, the, in, in Europe at the moment. I don't know if France does have a policy about, you know, what they do with um, overseas players. But, I mean, look, they kind of struggle when Drunk the Dante isn't there. And Vakatao was pretty much doing the Dante role prior to Dante coming into the team. So if he can carry on like this, if the, if the health concerns are a thing of the past, yeah, France should be at least be interested in, in looking at him for the next year or two. Sheesh, that's a massive call. Yeah. Also, did not realize that Montiani is also at Lyon. So, yes. <laughs> not not bad options at back three when you have Ioanni, Demortier, Abrams, Ninashvili is going to come back into this as well. Like, that's ridiculous. It's crazy, yeah? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would love to see Abrams and Ninashvili all dancing um, between themselves there. Um, next game on Sunday, um, Cell beating um, Stud 28 points to 5. Again, not too much to say here. Cell's just continuing to be really, really good. I think they are backing up what they did last season and look like a serious team, not necessarily to win this competition, but they should at least aim to be in the last 16. Stud, yeah, like you said, Sean, earlier, they're probably going to resign um, <laughs> from the Champions Cup pretty early. Any other comments about that game, Sean? Um, just that Manitou Lagi's back. He he had a flipping mm. decent game. And um, the other thing is that they, they only played Dan Dupree. And unfortunately, he went off after five minutes. He was injured. I don't really know what is wrong with him. So uh, oh, the, other, the other thing is Asher Apaku Fojo, who is a tight head prop. He played for the England under-20s in South Africa for the under-20s. He just keep an eye out for him. Um, he, he, I think he played in the premiership a couple of weeks ago, did pretty well. He came on really early, came on in the third minute because Shonitz um, went off for an HIA. And I think he won a scrum penalty straight up. Um, yeah, he's, he's someone to look out for in the future. But yeah, the Dupreas there, well, the other two will definitely come back into the mix soon. So the nice thing about Sale doing so well is they did it with, with guys still in the bank. Yeah, and Tom Curry has a long-term injury. So, yeah, there's still a lot of quality that you can put into this team. So, yeah, Sale looks... I think Sale has got a very good shot at being the second-best team in England at the moment. Um, so yeah. that's good for them. Um, the big game of the... Or, uh, to end off here, yeah, two big games this weekend. Um, we can discuss now a bit more depth. Leinster finally getting the monkey off their back against La Rochelle um, on the back of a massive um, Kieran Frawley penalty in the second half and some classical rush defense. A certain Jacques Nienaber's influence is already showing there. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, a very tight game between these two sides. I did think, though, when it was, I think it was 9.13 in like the, yeah, until the 80th minute, when it was still 9.13, I was like, ah, we know how this goes. So it's good for <laughs> Leicester that they actually movie. got the win this time. <laughs> yeah. It was it was a good game. Um, I like La Rochelle were very competitive. You always felt that Leinster were going to come back. They really, I think, 
that was one of their big ones that they needed to win. I think they really needed to do it. Um, Brice Dulan at 15 was very handy. TKB, very good. Um, yeah, it was, it was decent all round. The rain, it was shitting down with rain. It's probably the only way to mm. describe it. So it couldn't really open up at the end. But yeah, Leinster, Leinster did it. They did the job. A lot of, lot of niggles in the game. There were a couple of yellow cards and a whole bunch of shit going down. Um, but yeah, good win, good win for Leinster. And definitely, there's definitely Jacques Nino, but fingerprints on there, just little, little ones. Um, and, uh, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how Leinster grow. Yeah. I mean, I'll have to watch the game properly, but just looking at the stats, I mean, it's pretty even, but it did seem like, it seems like Larchal had most of the running and attack. They were making the breaks. They were beating the defenders. And Len- Leinster conceded 12 penalties in their own half. So wondering how they didn't get, you know, more points and have more yellow cards and all that sort of stuff. Also heard that apparently the ref didn't want to talk to James Ryan anymore and thought no. to talk to Gary Ringrose because Ryan... It was early in the game as many- well, eh? Sorry? It was early in the game that he made that call too. Yeah. So I don't know if James Ryan is listening a bit too much to his um, old um, club captain, Johnny Sexton. Huh? And yeah, that's probably not how you manage a referee like Matthew Carley. Um, so yeah, obviously these two teams know each other really well, hate each other a lot. So <laughs> a niggly game with the rain added as well is probably expected. At least for, I guess for La Rochelle's sake, they, yeah, I think all they need to tell themselves is, yes, maybe you are falling behind a few things, but all the serious stuff happens in a month or two's time. So just as long as they can get themselves through to the last 16, get, get Gregory Aldred back, get their team fit and firing, then they've always got a good chance near the later in the competition. I don't, yeah, I don't think it was a, a type of loss that shows there's massive flaws that Larishal has to fix right now. No, it's, I, I, I think it's little things to fix. Bearing in mind that they haven't had the best start to the top 14 either. So they're mm. probably a little bit, um, mentally weak. Oh, that sounds that sounds harsh, but you understand what I'm saying. Like if things, you know, when you really like in in good form and you trust the process, that you'll just stick to it. Yeah. So you know, they that's still in the back of their head that they they're lacking a little bit of form. Um, it was a big big shot up against Leinster. I mean, this could really be a turning point for La Rochelle in the season too. You know, it could really change things change things up for them. So um, yeah, it's it's big big win for Leinster, but I think it's it's good for La Rochelle too. Yeah, I've, uh, just a quality game. I mean, I'm not going to say no if this is the final again this, <laughs> this, um, at the end of the season too. Like, they are well-matched. They play different styles, but yeah, they seem to bring out the best out of each other as well. So we'll see how that goes later. Um, then I think easily the most entertaining game of the weekend was Racing versus Harlequins, and that was a, an absolute ding-dong battle between the two sides. Um, both um, Gibert and Marcus Smith were absolutely cooking at fly half. Um, Ken Legareca almost like cop- carbon copies of each other as well. Khaleesi played a really good game. Dom Brandt looked back to his best as well. Yeah, I think that wrestling pitch is made for games like this. And yeah, um, Arlequin's winning it at the end, 31 points to 28. Yeah, wow. What a game. Also, one of those games where, where you thought that wrestling were going to stretch it and, and win comfortably, but 
it didn't and it was oh, harlequins just didn't give up and remember two three years ago harlequins twice had two of the most incredible comebacks um mm-hmm. and yeah and bearing in mind the quins also if i'm not mistaken i think they got a yellow card late in late in the game too but incredible game i think the most the biggest thing that i want to talk about is circulisi's involvement um it's his first champions cup game for rushing and um yeah he did all that eh he was he was great he did massive turnover he i think he had a try saving tackle he stopped them all very close up great break for their try um yeah incredible game it was good it was good all round i thought um alex dombrant was was very good um like Garrick was incredible but my standout backline player without a shadow of a doubt is Ron Imhoff he's been incredible i'm i'm such a fan but he he really played well again i mean the guy's getting on in years and he's still got the pace he's still got the his mind's pretty sharp so so really good but yeah Tyron Green for Quins also good was fielding the high yeah. balls running in Estazen just smashing it up Danny K Marcus Smith were all over everyone so yeah it was it was great what a game to end the end round one eh? yeah look i think these teams are almost like the english and the french like versions of each other like they can look unbeatable for like a 20 minute period and score like points very quickly and then they can sort of go a bit quiet and then nothing really happens for a little bit as well um obviously got a lot of superstars trying to play rugby you know by giving the ball some air and yeah you just saw them going pound for pound in this game and, and and how that went as well it's going to be yeah it's going to be interesting for i think on the racing side i think they're still getting the team together they've got a very young 10 who's obviously coming in uh with Finn Russell obviously uh moving club so Jibe has to also i think start stamping his authority a little bit in the team Nola Legarek is obviously a really young, but a really great um, prospect at nine. So, you know, it's just those connections. And I think what Harlequins did well is they, they had a few set-piece moves and a few um, plays that they that, that, that could expose um, uh, uh, Rassing, especially in the midfield. Um, Estazen was giving Fiku a lot of trouble um, in the midfield. I think also I love Will Joseph. Any of those London Irish youngsters, yeah, he's playing really well. So Will Joseph had a really good game, I think, himself, especially in a game that has a lot of quality in that midfield. So, yeah, I think it's a good win for Harlequins. They're now playing Toulouse at home. The Toulouse side, that's not really playing in their their best rugby. So they could actually get another win and effectively, you know, qualify them, get, get themselves qualified for the last 16 already. Yeah, we'll have to see with um, Rassing. I think it's a bit of a work in progress, obviously adding all of those players into the team um, to see you know how far they can go. But there's some moments in the game where they looked unstoppable. Yeah, they, they've, got the, they've got the goods. Um, but it, this, win was, this win was big um, against a really talented Rassing side. Rassing over the years have always had, had, the, had the players and they've really not gone deep. So I think there's a little bit of something burning in the back of their mind, but this win for Harlequins is is huge. And then to go and then get to play round two in front of your home fans at the stoop is is massive. So an early qualification is on the cards. Yeah. Also, very quickly on the news front, 
um, Harry Arundel signed to stay on at Racing, which means that he won't be eligible for England um, in the near future, um, that he, I guess, rejected a big money move to Bath. Uh, yeah, Sean, it's a... Yeah, I think England has to make a decision now quickly about their like the future of the like eligibility laws because I think more and more players are gonna obviously choose you know the money and obviously the the competitiveness of France or even Japan, um, you know, over the Premiership um, if the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, the truth is, and I mean, I'm sure they wanted Henry in England so they could select him. But I think that he should be pushed onto Ford Watch. But having said that, I don't think that he's a 15 yet. I would prefer to see him on the wing. But I, I haven't seen that much about him, and I think he's an absolute superstar yet. I, I think he's really good and really quick. But he's still showing his age and his inexperience a little bit. We saw it at the, um, the World Cup um, when he played for England. And uh, yeah, so I don't think it's a massive loss for England now. Also, him staying there, he'll, he would very easily come back in two years, two or three yeah. years' time. And it really doesn't matter for anyone. He'll miss out on like 20 or 30 test matches, but um, you know, that's about it. So uh, not, not the worst move all round. Yeah, especially like you said, Sean, if he comes back at 25, 26, 20, well, yeah, 2025 or 2026, and he's a lot better as a player. Maybe he has grown the skills that he needs to to be a fullback as well, or at least be able to play in fullback. Then that benefits England rugby a lot more. Um, yeah, I think this is. I think we're in agreement that the top fourteen is probably the best league in the world. So yeah, playing there every week and especially with the quality that he has at Racing is 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 not a bad shot. I do hear your forward watch call for him. I don't think he's a fullback. I'm not sure what Lancaster um, is. If, if that's the right call and playing him at 15. I'd rather rather him play on the wing, but obviously you have Imhoff and Abosi as options there. Or he plays as like a big impact player that comes on in the last 20 minutes. But fullback, I don't think that is the one that works for him. So yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. Um, very quickly on Challenge Cup, in terms of South African results, Cheetahs beat Zebra um, 33 points to 15, which is a great result for them. Sharks Massive. thrashed Pipe. Yeah, sorry, sorry Tyler, sorry. not many guys go there and win, eh? That's no, a that's a flipping good result. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's not like I mean Russ, I mean Russing. Zebra played a decent team. It's not all their best players, but they played, I mean, Biscetti was there, Maurice was there. Um, so it's it's quite close to their first team. So this is a massive result for for the cheaters. Yeah, big, big time. So that's fantastic for them. Um, the Sharks um, beat Power 45 points to five. Sharks pretty much played um, their first team themselves. Um, yeah, they, they, I think the, the big thing for the Sharks is just getting consistency in the next two weeks. So I don't think the Sharks are going to, well, they have a, I just looked at this, their team now. Oh, the, the next game is against the Cheetahs. So luckily for the Sharks, they don't have to travel too far. But I think now the next few weeks is just about them getting momentum. Yeah, this result is big, but it happened last season as well. The Sharks need to get a foundation and they seriously need to build on it. So hopefully this is that moment. And to be fair, the Sharks could definitely beat the Cheetahs, but the Cheetahs can also beat the Sharks. However, this is, this is a, known, a known entity for the Sharks. So it could be the start of something for the Durban boys.
Yeah. And shout out to Ron Pinar, who had a great game um, for the Cheetahs, by the way. Then um, we are uh, obviously he's like 81 years old and he's still doing the business. Lions also beating Perpignan away from home. The comeback of Jordan Hendricks, uh, he played fantastically. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting what the what the coaching staff does now with the number 10 jersey with Nohamba also playing pretty well there. If, you know, if Hendricks comes in fully or yeah, or how they're going to manage that situation. But yeah, the Lions, they didn't play their best team and they handled Perpignan pretty well. I mean, it's probably not also the Perpignan's first team. So I think that's a very encouraging victory away from home for the Lions. It's it's huge. And Jordan scored 23 of those 28 points, if I'm not mistaken. Um, superb effort. It's simple for me, for the Lions. If everyone's fit, then then Jordan starts at 10. If you want to put Nahamba in the side, then he's going to have to start at nine and you can shift him to 10 afterwards if need be. But another great result away from home. Um, that's the South African sides are, are doing well away from home, which is so great to see. So good to see. Yeah. Nahamba, <laughs> unfortunately, might find himself in another scrum off traffic jam um, now in, 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 in Joburg because Nico Stein, I think that was his debut um, at nine, the SA under 20 player. <laughs> um, former SA under 20 player and he played quite well himself and he's I think really highly rated Mwene van der Berg is obviously in that squad as well so it might be very quickly that there's three quality nines that can all you know play at the URC level <laughs> oh man we we do this a lot in South Africa we don't we don't spread the love so it's going <laughs> to be interesting just thinking about that right now i I, I don't think, like, if I had to think of it right now, I don't think Nahamba moves. I think Nahamba no. probably stays there. He's really sorted himself out. Out of those three, probably Fannerberg will go, probably. But, I mean, also, he's, he's, he's a, pretty much a local. So, that would be, yeah. be tough. At the, uh, it's a problem for later. Right now, I think, yeah, uh, like you said, Henrikso should probably play at 10 from now on and Nahamba playing at 9. And, obviously, we know, now know that numbers an option that can always come back in if, if needed as well uh yeah i think pretty much everything else as normal black line also had their first game um the 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 georgian side they had their first game the challenge cup losing 10 points to 15 against gloucester so yeah hopefully they will that's a um, massive result yeah well yeah i hope they improve the and they keep improving the georgians love their rugby yeah, and it's it was looking through the team, a lot of players that played in the World Cup as well. So yeah, hopefully they do, you know, keep improving and make a bit of a noise in that in that competition. Um, but yeah, otherwise we'll have to see how all of this um settles um, in the in the next few weeks um in the Challenge Cup. Sean, I think finally let's just talk um through the Cape Town Sevens very quickly. Not the best performances. I mean, I was there um on Saturday at the, at the Sevens, obviously the vibes were fantastic. Um, Sevens, the sort of the rebrand of the Sevens, you could see it in full go that it's effectively a festival there. So it gets, you know, the, the stadium has a lot of activity throughout the day. <laughs> I think I'm almost a bit more of a old school fuddy-duddy because, yeah, I, I think there's too much happening on the outside and not enough watching of rugby, but obviously I'm not the target market for that. Um, but yeah. Fuddy-duddy. No, to be honest, there was a there's so much like happening. I mean, never mind it's for a normal sevens, um, but all the stuff happening like in this in the concourse of like the different like there's a 
a beach club and then there's this almost like a trance party happening there's this band playing there's that band playing it's like she's like can we just watch the rugby please and eat it and eat food um argentina wins um their seven their i think their first sevens in or it is their first sevens in cape town beating australia in the final uh australia the women's team wins against um fiji in in the final as well the Blitzbox, the the men's team, they fell off in the quarterfinal. The women's team, they didn't really have, you know, they they also I think were I think last or second last in in the, in the final standings as well. Not a good weekend for the South African seven sides, unfortunately. No, I I always maintain that that first game on day two, so that quarterfinal game is always the toughest. Like you've just got to get through it. It it's literally win or win and win or lose, you know. Um, but yeah, the thing is, is, is the Blitzbox, they lost and they lost well. Um, it was quite a, it was quite a, a wild result to, to watch that. Um, and then we lost again a little later. So that's something that they're going to have to build on. Um, just on the, on the SA woman, um, I have a little bit of a, a little bee in my bonnet. I see a lot of people like on social and are talking about the woman's side and just being like, well, this is just unacceptable. Um, you know, we should be doing better and all that. And even someone took a pop at, at Rassi Erasmus because he's director of rugby at South Africa, so he should be looking after them. The women's side have got a lot better. We, we are a lot better. We're not getting the results now, but so much has changed. Um, it's been, it's hard. It's hard to, for us to start at a high place We've our women's rugby has been non-existent for like forever. You know, mm. when we always played rugby, and when we came back into the in, into the international mix, we had a foundation to build on. Where the women's rugby didn't have a foundation to build on. So South Africans are looking at the Springboks and then looking at the the women and going, "Well, you guys should be starting on this level." So it's really hard. But I mean, the Blue Bulls they've they've got professionally contracted women in their side. They're the first club side or regional side to do it there's movement in the south african game in south africa we've got more we've had more women of our women play overseas professionally than we have in the past so things are changing it's just not great at home when you're getting pumped but sevens is a whole new area and a whole new game that you have to learn sevens is very different to 15s and once you're trying to learn and get involved in the rugby game to then go and be competitive at a sevens game is also challenging so yeah there my moan is done <laughs> no, I think it's 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 fair enough, and like it will take time to get those structures going um, for both the fifteens and the sevens program for the for the women, and I think also just to have a pool big enough that can sustain both sides. Number one, and then number two, obviously letting the talent come through because I mean we've seen even with our um, our fifteens team that the the talent is there. It's just a matter of you know, getting the coaching, getting the structures, getting professional rugby, et cetera, et cetera. The one thing, obviously, just to note about um, the Sevens program is it was last year where Paul Dalport resigned as um, the Sevens coach, the women's Sevens coach, and he basically said that he did it because the SA rugby structures don't really care about the the, the women's program and haven't really yes. given them the support needed for that. So no, I'm not saying that that's a... A rusty problem is probably more of a SA rugby problem. Yeah. And didn't we but also have issues in the 15s? With the women's, yeah. Um, the, I think we did, coaching-wise. 
they they didn't i think there was an issue with um stanley robinheim and him staying and everything as well so look whatever happens and um, lynn cantwell is in that structure as well to help the women's program and i guess works with um with rassi rasmus as well so there is people there and there is some accountability and lynn should definitely bring in the people that she wants to bring in which i think she's starting to do so then yeah we we just have to give these things time and to see if it grows year on year, are we getting closer to where we need to be? Um, the women, at least, unfortunately, compared to the men, the women are the ones that are qualified for the Olympics right now. So they have a full sevens program this year, which they didn't really have um, before. They're in the Olympics at the end of the season as well. So they hopefully can just grow um, week to week and competition to competition. And then hopefully we slowly but surely climb up the, the rankings there. But yeah, it is it is a bit unfortunate because you, even in the crowd, you can see like that there's still a lot of ignorance around, you know, the performance of the women and a lot of people saying things that obviously are just unfounded about, you know, like the, the women's team and where they should be, where we're effectively, I mean, in the men's rugby, obviously we're, you know, the, we're ahead um, with the 15s and even in the sevens, we're, we're quite good. And women's rugby, you're probably about 15, 20 years behind New Zealand, Australia, et cetera, et cetera. So we need to just invest in the program and wait for those um, results to come out. And But it will probably take more, closer to t- five, 10 years before we're competitive rather than it's going to take, you know, two to five months. So yeah, I think you said it well, Sharky, the, the structures are there for the men's game. That's why, you know, as soon as we get a good coach and we have... So a good crop of players we can win a rugby world cup we can go we can do well in the sevens for the women's um side of the draw they still need to get those structures before they can perform yep i'm with you yeah so we'll have to see how how they go but yeah congratulations to argentina they won um australia beat france in the in the final as well so i was i think discussing with Sean that australia the australian women's sevens team might be the best team in the world right now they're the current World Cup champs. They've pretty dominant in every sevens competition that they're in. They can obviously aim for the Olympic gold this this season. Madsen uh, Levi is probably the best sevens player in the world right now. Yeah, they they might be the team that's like the best rugby team in the world right now and are far away from their from the rest of their competition. Yeah, they oh man, so good. But as we were chatting and you just said to me, like, there's no one can touch them. When they walk onto the field, you just know what's going to happen. It's a, it's a foregone conclusion. So, yeah, I don't know what their, what their streak is or how they've been doing in terms of uh, streak-wise, but you know that they're always going to dominate and um, we need size to be competitive as well. But just looking at the players that they've got, they don't look like they're going to be giving up that throne very soon. Mm-mm. Yeah. And then, yeah, just uh, some rugby news just to finish off. Um, staying on Australia, um, <laughs> two bits of news concerning them. Um, Mark Nawakani Tawase, um, the, the star winger that's been playing quite well in the last year or so for Australia, has decided to sign for the Sydney Roosters from the 2025 season. So he will be leaving rugby union um, in the next few years, which is a massive blow. And yeah, I think also a symbolic blow for Australian rugby, obviously with all the Big things happening in Australia. I think he leaves. Years. I think he leaves now, and he's back for twenty twenty five. Oh, I thought it was the I other think, way around that he's still no, no, be he's, playing for the Waratahs this season. 
he will, but then he's going away for two years, so he'll be back for the World Cup. Okay. So, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I wasn't. I got my fives and my sevens mixed around. Yeah, he plays. <laughs> he plays and finishes up, and then he's away for two. He signed a two-year contract, so he could probably still come back for the Wallabies for the next World Cup, but he'll miss the Lions. Yeah. Yeah, not, I mean, hopefully he does come back if, if you know, if the Wallabies want him and everything. But, yeah, that's not, that's not good news. They'll have to, I think they'll, yeah, I think the main thing is now the, the Arabia Strangers has to work out how they ensure that it's not a flood of players that leave and it's just a one-off, once-off, and that they turn to players stay. The final bit of news is, um, Sean, have you seen that um, Rugby Japan is about to make an appointment for their new head coach for the 15s game? <laughs> Who could it be? <laughs> I wonder. Uh, I wonder. <laughs> it's surely not the guy that said he's not taking any interviews with Japan and denied everything the last few months. But yeah, Australia is be... is so polarizing. And <laughs> you know that you know that if you intensely dislike someone, you often go out of your way to check how much shit they talk. I saw someone posted something and said, Eddie Jones will be unveiled as the Japanese head coach after lying about it 18 times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sums it up. <laughs> he has denied it every chance he's got. And yeah, it's, yeah, now I'm sure he's going to say something else and have an, a smile and a wink. Look, I think when Eddie Jones was in Japan the last time, obviously we know what happened in the World Cup in 2015, but the best thing was we had only small bits of Eddie Jones, like a nice little treat at the end of supper instead of having Eddie Jones in our faces every day. So I think for the rugby public, um, for everyone, this is a good move. I'm and not for sure Eddie if it's Jones, a good move I for Japan. Yeah. I think it's a good move for Eddie Jones. But listen, who's going to complain about Eddie Jones going to coach a Japanese club side when he's coaching in Japan now? Come this on, guys, you've got to sort this stuff out. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I hope, I hope for his sake that it is the distance that he needs from like the mainstream rugby public that, you know, doesn't mess up with, you know, his, I don't know, because I think he's always trying to prove that he's smarter than the rest of us and he doesn't need to do that in Japan. Like I would imagine that the rugby journalist, the rugby public isn't as intense as it is in England or obviously in his home country of Australia. So do your thing. Build the Japanese team, you know, little bit by little bit, and you know, get them to be competitive. But yeah, shush. She uh, for on on Japan's side, yeah, I, I'm not sure, but you, Australia's just shown you never go back to your ex, unfortunately. So we'll have to see how that goes for them. Yeah, Sean. Uh, yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. I think in general, but yeah, I think. Well, at least not have at least a lot of the Eddie Jones news stories now will be you have to Google Translate from Japanese, which means no one's gonna read them much, which is maybe a good thing for everyone. That's brilliant. I think it's a good thing for Eddie Jones too. I think um it'll be good. I, I will say I would hate for him to get lost um from rugby like uh like outside of Japan, similar to what yeah. happened to Robbie Deans. I would love to see Eddie Jones back in the mix somewhere along the line. But this is this is a good move all around, I feel. Okay. Well, I think let's wrap it up there. That has been a wrap-up of um of the weekend's rugby. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rugby Biz Podcast. We've um also have tried to launch uh, a, a weekly video series. We did our first one just previewing one or two of the or at least the Bulls Saracens game um this weekend. We're gonna try to see if we can do one 
um, for this weekend. We'll yeah, we'll just see once the teams come out and yeah, have a, have a bit of fun with that. So please do give us some feedback as to yeah whether you like it or not, or you know what we can discuss in those small little videos as well. And yeah, as you can see, we're still struggling with seeing each other and reacting to each other's faces on video. So apologies for some of the flubs <laughs> during the videos as well. Um, we'll get better on that. The ner- most nervous I've been in Yonks. <laughs> it's just different. I don't normally see Sean's face when I'm saying something. So when I see some when then Sean's face starts to change, I'm like, yes, what am I saying? Am I saying something completely horrible right now? Maybe it's just my face. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to learn whether it's the face or not. But yeah, so look out for that on our social media um, channels as well. And obviously, please visit our Rugby Bits website as well. And yes, please continue to support our podcast. And yeah, we'll see each other or we'll talk to each other during the course of the week. Bye-bye.